Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. We are so grateful that you have joined us on this Super Bowl Sunday. I see we have a, who are you pulling for, Mike? Maybe the Bucks. All right, we'll go with the Bucks. All right, today, <laughs> uh, Casey and the Bucks. How many? Uh, how many are pulling for Casey this morning? I see your hands. God bless you. How many Buck fans do we have? How many people just like to eat during the Super Bowl? Awesome! It is so good to have everybody in the house as we continue a series of messages this morning entitled "Frame." It's a study grounded in the Garden of Eden because there we find that God establishes and frames up some pretty incredible truths. And you know, we frame things that we think are pretty important, right? That which is enclosed in frames is something that is worth displaying. And I'm going to tell you something. Our study in these few chapters of Genesis uncovers some truth that are very much worth displaying. For the rest of the world to see. And we're glad you're with us today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 1. And as you do that, I'm going to tell you something that just cracks me up. And that is funny headlines. Right? From newspapers to online journals, all those things. And I thought I would share with you a couple of the funniest that I found on the internet. You ready? Here we go. Here's my favorite in a newspaper. Man found dead in graveyard, right? I'm sort of glad, right? That, that's a good thing. That there wasn't somebody who came about. Anyway, here's, here's my favorite overall. Weight Watchers demonstrator shoplifts cupcakes. That was me. All right, anyway, um, here's a good one. Federal agents raid gun shop and find weapons. <laughs> um, really? Uh, I, this one's a little weird, but man accused of killing lawyer receives a new attorney. <laughs> Um, that would be awkward, right? Um, here's the type of safety meeting I'd like to be in. This headline says, safety meeting ends in an accident. That's a good safety meeting, in my opinion. Here's the last one. State population to double by 2040. Babies to blame. Like, of course they are, right? That's, that's how you double your population. Uh, this morning, as we look in Genesis, uh, we're going to see, man, a pretty... Pretty troubling headline, a startling headline found here in the Scripture that really changes absolutely everything. But let's talk a little bit about where we have been. Uh, on the first time that we looked in Genesis, we framed up this truth. You ready? That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why? For His glory. Last week, we talked about this, that you and I are image bearers of God. And because of that, and in Christ, we ought to bear his image in such a way that brings other people to Jesus. And here's the truth we frame up today. Although we are image bearers of God, we have been broken by sin. You and I have been broken by sin, but we don't have to be broken forever. You and I have been broken by sin, but we don't have to be broken together so forever. Let's do this. Let's take a look back at the creation account together and take a glimpse into the garden 
and a glimpse at this very first moments of these image of God bears. And the Bible says this in Genesis, verse 8. It says, Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And then we, we jump on to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, watch this, you ready? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of good and evil. For if you eat of it, certainly you'll die. You know what I love in verse 17? I love some of the very first words that God speaks to the man. You know what they are? You are free. You are free. Most of the time, people shun religion because they see it as nothing more than rules and regulations. Guess what it is? And they rightfully shun religion. But what we see here in the garden, Genesis chapter 2, is we see this relationship between God and between man. And it is a relationship that is marked by freedom. Hey, imagine a world with only one rule. With only one command. Not ten commandments. Not 613 or 613 positive and negative commands of the Pharisees. Not the thousands of laws in the U.S. Penal Code. Imagine a world with just one rule. With one command. And it amazes me. That's some of the first words we see to mankind is you are free. You are free. I look at Adam and Eve in this instance, and they were created by God, not only with an eternal soul, but also, church, with a free will. Why? Because, hear me, you ready? Love is a choice. Love is a choice. And God created humanity to love Him, to share in a relationship with Him. But for us to truly love God, we must have the choice not to love God. Thus this tree of the knowledge of good and evil set up here in Scripture in the middle of the garden. But you know what? I want to remind you of how God sees Adam and Eve in this moment. Back in chapter 1, verse 31, listen to God's description. God saw all that he had made, and watch this. It was very good. Hey, imagine with me the first impression Adam senses from God. And that impression of how God thinks of him is you are good. That is very existence pleases God. You know, Adam, in this moment in chapter 1, he, he could walk with God unimpeded. He could see God unobstructed. He could talk with God unhindered. It was a relationship unbroken. But something scandalous will soon steal the headlines in the Garden Gazette. The breaking news out of chapter 3 is that a scandal has taken place. And speaking of scandal, we're introduced to the troublemaker. The antagonist of this story. Cue the snake, right? Cue the snake. So if you have your Bibles in Genesis 3.1, here's how the Bible reads. Now the serpent was more crafty. I love that word crafty in Hebrew. It means this. It was marked by skill 
in deception. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. Now, first of all, I hate snakes. Hey, let me tell you what's worse than a snake. You ready? A talking snake. I, I, I just, I, I'm not a fan of them. Uh, listen, most humanity from this moment here in Genesis chapter 3 has a natural built-in fear of snakes. Now, some of y'all love snakes. And based upon the Bible, you're weird. Okay? Like, just a little, little different. But David helped arrange today a special visitor. Uh, David, bring a... Bring this guy out here. You ready? Can you open the... You know, um, let me see. You ready? No, y'all think I'm crazy. You think I would actually bring a live snake into church, right? I got Baptist in my background. You know what kills a pastor's reputation? Breaking out snakes and handling them on a Sunday morning. But listen, I found these at the Dollar Street, and I'm going to tell you something. Even a rubber snake... Is a little troubling. Our, our lead deacon back there, Joey, who's running the sound, uh, he left a snake in my office underneath my desk. A lifelike looking snake. And here's the deal. The minute I sat in my chair and I looked down, in my mind, I knew it was a fake snake. But I was frozen in fear. I could not bring myself to touch it. It's just built into us, and yet we see uh, this is the main player here in Genesis chapter 3. So who really is this talking snake? Well, hey, let's settle the debate. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, refers to this very serpent in the garden as the ancient serpent, who is the devil. He's Satan. Well, the debate settled that Satan took the form of a snake. And I want you to hear me, church, and let's settle this debate. Satan is not some figment of our imaginations. Rather, a historical figure who finds himself across the pages of history and is very much alive today. He's an enemy of God, and he's an enemy of you, and he's an enemy of me. Now, I want you to consider this about the snake in the garden. He wasn't the venomous fear-inducing reptile that we know him to be today. In fact, the snake in its form was much different back then. Before it was cursed above all creation by God as a reminder of this scandal in the garden, the snake wasn't an appalling creature, rather an attractive one. Notice Eve's reaction to the serpent. She's not scared. She's not concerned. She's not panicked. Hear me, you ready? The devil and his temptations rarely come to us as a scary dragon with a red tail and horns. But he comes to us in an appealing, in an attractive form, and that's exactly what he does here in the garden. Don't believe me? Before he was Satan, his name was Lucifer, whose name means the bearer of light. He was an angel of light before God, and that was long before pride and sin had darkened his very heart. 
And here's what we find. You ready in the garden? Here in Satan, we see the end game of all sin played out. Because in Satan, we find he is deceitful. He is depraved. He is divisive. And he's destructive. Listen to Jesus's description of that old serpent. In John 8, 44, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Hey, guys, that's, yes, Jesus loves me. Speaking of that old snake. Speaking of the devil himself. Now, let's go back to the text for a moment. And the serpent says to Eve, did God really, did God really say? You know what that old snake does? He begins to sow doubt while cultivating a conspiracy in Eve's mind and in her heart. He begins sowing doubt by attacking God's very words. Did God really say? Hear me, the devil is out to deny, to discredit, and to destroy the very words of God, calling into question God's character and his motives, calling into question his love for Eve. Did God really say was the beginning of Satan's slanderous attack against God? Satan's attempt to slander him. You say, well, Anthony, what, what do you mean by slander? Well, biblically, slander happens when someone says something untrue about someone else to injure them. To injure them. Remember what Proverbs 6 teaches, right? That God hates slander, calls it evil. Paul would teach in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 30, that slander is the behavior of those who hate God. I love this from an article I read. Listen to this. Whenever we handle a person's name, whoever they are in the mind of others, we are stewarding a treasure that belongs to them. If we damage a person's reputation unjustly, we are stealing their good name and we are vandalizing their character. I want to say this. You ready, church? When you and I engage in slander, we look far more like a snake than we do a saint. And what we find here in Genesis chapter 3 is we find this old serpent, we find this old devil trying to slander God, trying to damage his name and to get Eve to doubt his love, his care, and his plan for her life. And you know what? That's exactly what he does to us still to this day. Verse 2, And the woman Eve said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees, the, the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, now listen, Eve doesn't seem to have a good command, a full grasp on God's command here, because he didn't say if you touch it, he said only if you eat of it. But what she does get right is the punishment that comes. If she does such a thing as eats it. And that is what sin always does. And that leads to death. You know, perhaps Satan's slander of God is working its way in Eve's heart. As she begins to misquote God here. But she is fully aware of where sin will lead her. 
And then it goes on to verse 4 and says, the devil looks at her, that serpent looks at her and says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Hey, you ready? Right on cue. Satan slanders God in his word. He says this, hey, God lied to you, Eve. Eat of that tree and you'll be truly, you'll be really alive. You'll be like God, Satan says. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. Why? You know what? Eve, you don't need him. You, you can be the God of your, your own life. Do whatever makes you happy. Your happiness matters most. And God, with all of his rules, he didn't really want you happy. Who is he to tell you, Eve, what is good and bad? You do you. You find your truth. Go ahead and eat the fruit. You deserve it. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture that asks, did God really say? Culture asserts what God and His Word calls sin isn't really sin, is it? God really doesn't punish sin, culture cries. Live as you want to live. God wants you happy. God loves you too much to punish your sin. It is the anthem of a culture that seeks to slander God and His Word. And instead of standing for God in this moment, Eve cowers before the serpent. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. You know, there's an age-old debate of what type of fruit this was. Here in the United States, uh, we always point to it as an apple. Uh, more characteristic of the geography of ancient Mesopotamia, it was more probably like a pomegranate or a fig tree. Honestly, to be enticing to me, it might have been one of these. You know what that is? That's a bacon tree. We don't know what kind of fruit it was, and it's not really even much about the fruit is it whatever kind of tree whatever kind of fruit it was it was desirable hey what may seem desirable to us can destroy us if that desire is in conflict to the word of god Hey, and by the way, a real quick word. She saw the food was good for gaining wisdom. You ready? Wisdom is never gained by disobeying the Word of God. As Proverbs teaches in Proverbs 1-7, that all wisdom, all of it, is found and begins in the fear of the Lord. Here's what it is. You ready for Adam and Eve? Sin promised pleasure, but only produced pain. Sin promised happiness but it left them hopeless. Sin promised freedom, but enslaved them. Sin promised self-sufficiency, but led only to self-destruction. As James 1.15 teaches, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. 
Hey, can I remind you that oftentimes sin doesn't come across devilish, but desirable. Most of the time, sin don't come across devilish. It comes across desirable. But here's what we know from Scripture. And let me remind you, you and I are more than our desires. Just because we have a desire does not make it godly or right. We must desire God above every other desire and measure every other desire by the Word of God. R.C. Sproul would say it this way. Though sin offers immediate pleasure, it gives no lasting joy. And you know what? I sit in a room full of people who know that to be very true. And I know that to be very true. Here we see Satan's slander was successful. He has lured Adam and Eve away from God. He has slandered God, tempted Eve, and now both Adam and Eve have a choice. Tragically, scandalously, they choose the forbidden fruit over the Father. In church, you and I have been reaching for that same forbidden fruit ever since. We have been after that same forbidden fruit ever since this scandal in the garden. And you might be asking in your mind, what's the big deal? One bite. One sin. But in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus reminds us everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I think of Adam and Eve. They were promised freedom by Satan. And instead, Adam and Eve were shackled by fear. And later on, we would see them hiding from God. They were promised satisfaction. And yet they were filled with shame. Shamed of their nakedness. Instead of pleasure, which was promised by that old servant, they were crushed by the penalty of sin. And you ready? Instead of being good, they were riddled with guilt. Hey, remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 31? And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. This is not the case any longer. In Genesis chapter 3. Imagine with me the moments after Adam and Eve's rebellion. Their treasonous act of sin against God. And from that place of brokenness, here's what sin did. You ready? Sin convinced them that they were no longer any good to God. It convinced them. You are no longer any good to God. And since that scandalous moment in the garden, sin has convinced humanity of the same. And since that moment, humanity has longed to hear from God, you are good again. We have tried to work our way to earn God's approval. We try religion. We do religious things just in hopes to hear from our Heavenly Father one more time. You are good. But here's the problem, church. Sin has infected all of us, corrupted every heart and every mind in this room and watching online this morning. So much so that Romans 3.10 says this, that there is no one righteous, no, not one. Hey, listen, 
There is no one who is good. No, not one. And so the question becomes, will we be broken forever? Will we ever hear from our Creator, our God, our Father? Will we ever hear again? You are good. I love this passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, speaking of Adam, Paul is, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? So let me unpack that for you, okay? Here's what that means. Because Jesus is good, faith in him is the only avenue by which we can be good again. The only avenue by which you and I can be right before God again. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, hear me, you ready? And catch this. The good news of the gospel. We place our faith and trust in Jesus. We are good because Jesus is good. And in your soul and mine, we hear that phrase we have longed for for all of our lives from our Father in heaven. You are good. You are good. And it's not the language of religion. But it's the language of a relationship between us and the Father. Again, you may say as a believer, oh, how can I be good? If I have a sin nature, I still wrestle against. And I want you to understand this. Like Adam and Eve, you and I have a free will. But here's what I'm going to argue. That because we're born in sin, because you and I are born with a sin nature, our free will is a bent will. A will bent towards sin, a will bent towards self. And that is why what we really need more than anything else is a new heart. What we need more than anything else is a new life. And that is found in one place, in one person alone. And He alone bends our will. Back to the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul reminds us, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It is the hope and the good news that we may be broken by sin. But we don't have to be broken forever. I want to close in this story. A man by the name of Jamie Torkowski founded a ministry aimed at helping those who were addicted and depressed find hope in Jesus. And I want, I want to share his story, his words with you of how his ministry came to be. The events that led up to the naming of his ministry. And here's what he writes. Renee is 19 years old. When I met her, cocaine is fresh in her system. She hasn't slept in 36 hours and she won't sleep for another 24. It is a familiar blur of drugs and alcohol. She's agreed to meet us, to listen, and to let us pray. 
We ask Renee to come with us to leave this broken night. She says she'll go to rehab tomorrow. She isn't ready now. And so we pray with her and say goodbye. And he writes, it's really hard to leave without her. She's known great pain. Haunted dreams as a child, the near constant presence of evil ever since. She's felt the touch of awful men, battled depression and addiction and attempted suicide. Six, after, six hours after I met her, she's feeling trapped. Two groups of friends offering opposite ideas. One leads to death, the other to hope and life. Everyone is asleep now. The sun is rising. She drinks long from a bottle of liquor. Takes a razor blade from the table and locks herself in the bathroom. She takes that razor blade and she carves big letters deep into her skin. The first of the two words she carves into her skin is an expletive, is a cuss word that I I won't share. But here's the two words and what they symbolized in her life. She carves into her arm messed up. It's the words of someone who's broken. And she conveys this message in blood on her arm. And soon after, she she carves this in her arm. She loses consciousness and is taken to a small medical clinic. Now a nurse finds these wounds several hours later, he writes, The sinner has no detox and names her too great of a risk and does not accept her. And so he writes this. For the next five days, she is ours to love. We become her hospital, and the possibility of healing fills our living room with life. It is unspoken, and there are only a few of us. But we will be her church, the body of Christ coming alive to meet her needs. And then he says this, for this one goal, to write love on her arms. To write love on her arms, and they did just that. And you know what the name of Jim's ministry is? To write love on her arms. And ever since, not only is Renee connected with the gospel, experiencing that new life, but many others have benefited from the church going out and writing love across their arms. You know, I begin to think about the ministry of Jim. I begin to think about the church. You know, the truth we framed up this morning is that even though we are image bearers of God, we have been broken by sin, but we don't have to be broken forever. I begin to think about the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you and for me? That He found us in our brokenness, deep in our sin, 
and he died upon a cross and he rose again. Why? In order to write his love across our hearts, across our lives, across our sin, across our shame, across our guilt, across our brokenness. It's the good news of the gospel so that we can hear from our Father again. You are good. You are good. And I begin to think on this snowy morning outside of these walls, how many people though they may not carve it into their arm. That's exactly how they see their life. I am messed up. I am no good to God anymore. I am broken. And here we have in this room those of us who know what it is to be made whole in Christ with this call, with this commission, you ready? To write love, His love and His hope on the arms of everyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question? Whose arms are you writing love on? In this past week, whose arms have you been writing Jesus' love on and across? Whose brokenness have you got messy into in order to write His love on it? You say, well, Anthony, how do we, how do we write Jesus' love on someone else's arms, their heart, their life. You ready? It's our very mission statement. We, we exist to connect everyone with the life-changing, love-writing gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I send you out here in just a few minutes, I do so to write His love across the brokenness across the hearts and across the lives of those that we come in contact with who do not know Jesus. And believer, do you know there's even season in our lives where we're convinced we're no longer any good to God? And you know how we get convinced that way? Because we sin against Him. And sin always works to convince us that we are no good to God anymore. And so you know what? I just jotted this down in my notes. You ready? Don't flirt with sin this week. If you're in sin, don't continue in it this week. Don't attempt to justify sin. Don't excuse away sin. Because here's what we know, whether it's the scandal in the garden or the sin in the moment. Sin always leaves us broken and convinces us that we're no good to God anymore. Where Jesus has died and rose again, and faith in Him reminds us all oh, that we are good and we are precious in the sight of God. Can we pray together? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.